my name is Adam Canal, and I am a collaborative composer. Join me in the search for a career in classical music. This is the Making Noise podcast. Yeah, we're making it happen. Timer is on. We are beginning. <laughs> All right. Oh, my God. One thing I, I, I need to point out, like, right off the bat, which I had mentioned in our correspondence, was when I asked you to be on this podcast, and you were like, sounds great. Would you go to my calendar yeah. to, uh, to schedule a time? And I was like, oh, this is interesting. And, and I went to look at it. And please explain what that is, because I think that is the most invaluable or valuable <laughs> thing that musicians could use on their, uh, with you know. Oh, sure, sure. So, so I use a scheduling tool called Calendly and I love it because I realized I was doing the kind of scheduling dance a lot in emails. And I used to be one of those people who was definitely getting back to you via email within two hours because I was working in a day job that I, that, you know, I could just respond to things. Right. And (laughs) <laughs> as my life has, you know, evolved and changed as I've gone, I am definitely not in that, uh, in that space anymore where I can respond to emails as quickly as I have before, as anybody who knows me has, has felt, right. They're like, they're like, Oh my gosh, Megan, can you please get back to me? <laughs> and I'm like, yes, yes, I am. Um, so I realized that I needed to think about pulling that aspect out. So I can't go back and forth with like three different emails for scheduling anymore what I decided is I'm going to use this, I'm going to use a scheduling tool and then just kind of have some standing blocks of time where I know I'm going to be doing that thing. People can always sign up. And, and when we went into quarantine really, uh, or after we'd been in quarantine for a little bit because of COVID, I realized how desperately I was missing connecting with people. And I think it really had to do with not going to new music gathering was a time Mm. when I was just like, Oh, I'm, so missing connecting with my community in this way. And I just wasn't feeling like I was getting that. And so I, I put a little like a standing virtual happy hour on my scheduling tool. And I would just ask people like, Hey, do you want to get together and, and zoom? Or we can talk on the phone if video is not your thing. And it has been such a great way to stay connected to people, but also to reach out because you know, that I moved down to New Orleans, like, coming up on a year ago now. And I really thought that by the spring, I'd be going out to shows and I'd be meeting people organically. And that's not happening. Little did you know. (laughs) Little did I know. And so that having that little spot on my scheduling tool has been really helpful for me to also just toss it out there to people that I want to have in my, in my new like community network, my arts and culture network here. And I just want to connect with them a little bit more. So having that has been great for me to be like, hey, would you like to do one of these things? I have this handy scheduling tool. So lots of people use Acuity, Calendly, whatever it is. <clears throat> and it just works really well. So for you and like scheduling podcasts and things like that, for my studio class podcast, I also have one that is private so that anybody that I'm scheduling guest interviews with, they can find a time that's just set aside for that. And I know that it's just going to get automatically put on my calendar, on my Google Google calendar, because I've got multiple, uh, you know, marketing and communications clients, and I pull all of those calendars onto one calendar so that I'm not 
thinking of myself in multiple spaces. I'm not sure if you're like this, Adam. I used to be one of these people. I'm still one of these people, but (laughs) (laughs) I'm still one of these people who thinks of like the different things that I do as kind of like different calendars, different people, right? Like, oh, well, my performance self is doing this and my like, and my calm self is doing this, right? And they just happen to be on the same day. And then I'm like, no, those are literally happening at the same time. You can't do that. (laughs) And, and so I really needed to keep it all in one place. So I've got multiple calendars, but they have to end up in one at some point. So this, just having a scheduling tool, having one calendar that kind of aggregates all the different parts of my life really, really, really helps me not, not over schedule myself, not double schedule myself. And also specifically make time for the things that I care about, right? So I care about these conversations. I care about, you know, interviews. I care about uh, making time to walk and talk on the phone to people that I, that I really love. And if I don't have them on the calendar, oof, doesn't always happen. So. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Well, that's that, all that is amazing. I mean, I, I had to bring it up because I had never seen it before. You are the first <laughs> and only person I had experienced that with. And, and I am the, having that dance that you were saying the back and forth, the emailing, like, Hey, uh, are you good on this day for the podcast? And, and, uh, that's just sort of the nature of it, you know, yeah. yeah. having a way to bypass that and funnel it into one thing, like you had mentioned. Right. Um, well, and I think if you make it easier and people can just essentially quote unquote sign up for a time, mm-hmm. then that's something that I've noticed in my coaching business too, is that, it allows them to be kind of scrolling my coaching landing page on my website. And they're like, you know what? I do think I want to do this. And so they can just book it and they can be scrolling it at like 11 o'clock at night, you know, when they're like, Hmm, should I do this? Should I not do this? Right. And they can just sign up and they, it doesn't have to be kind of as personal as like sending the email or sending the thing. You can just sign up for something. Right. Mm. It makes it a, like takes, takes a little bit of maybe brings the barrier down a little bit. And I think that that's really helpful for that person who's a little on the fence and just needs it to be a little bit easier and not feel like they're bothering me or anything. They're just like, they're just signing up for a time. Oh my God. Well, I, that's, that's, yeah. So amazing. <laughs> I, I, I love that. Full disclosure. I'm stealing it. Like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no, please, please. This is a- <laughs> This is not, this is not intellectual property whatsoever. Please make your scheduling lives work better for you. Oh my God. Yeah. I I can already see how much benefit that it would be for me, but also for everyone, especially for everyone that, you know, I'm communicating with and trying to work with and stuff. And so I I have, I'm very curious about this aspect because I just watched that documentary, The Social Dilemma. (laughs) Yeah. It's on my list. I haven't seen it yet. So you'll have to give me if you need me to know about a certain aspect of it. <laughs> well, what I'm curious it. about is how much of, uh, of it's called Calendly. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. So how much of Calendly uh, integrates with your, like with your personal calendar? Is it visible? Like mm-hmm, can people mm-hmm. see like you have like, Oh, at one o'clock today, I got to talk to this uh, bald loud guy with a beard. No. Like, you know, like, <laughs> No, no. The beautiful part about a scheduling tool like that is that they only see times that are available for the thing that it's for, right? They can't see my calendar. I, and even like Google calendars that I have with my communications clients, 
even those I set up so that maybe you can see the title of whatever it is I'm doing, or you can just see whether I'm available or away, which is, I think, important. I just, you know, I want to be clear about, of course, you can schedule a time if I'm talking to my, you know, my clients or whatever. Mm. Um, my kind of regular ongoing communications and marketing clients, I want them to know, of course, we can schedule a meeting, but because it's open, right? but I don't need them to know the ins and outs of like where I'm going and who I'm meeting and stuff. Like right. That. Like, right. Yeah. I don't, I don't need you to know what all that. <laughs> like, it's martini o'clock. Yeah. Right. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and depending on, you know, cause I've got clients in lots of different time zones. So it's like, if I'm having a, you know, happy hour at five, uh, like in central time, right. Pacific time. They're like, wow, she's starting early. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that that'd be setting an interesting uh precedent right? i'm like yeah. don't judge me no, no. <laughs> there's nothing to judge there not at all no. <laughs> so okay so here's here's one thing that I, I had mentioned over email very briefly is is at what point in your um like whether it was when you were a student or when you graduated and you started transitioning into building your career and stuff at what point did you did you start shifting your focus from like being a musician, like the craft of it, you know, mm -hmm. a performer, mm -hmm. a singer, and then started to try to integrate more of the business side of things and using your performance to inform that. Yeah. Does that make sense? I, yep. I think that my experience has always been a little bit in tandem. You know, I was working for arts nonprofits before I went to grad school and and I have always been the kind of person that, ha I mean, I've had a, I've had a job, I mean, like, you know, part-time job since I was 14. So definitely going to always need the multiple sources of income or, you know, just diversified income beyond music, um, because that's the, that's how I have structured my life. And as I was coming up, you know, having that experience being in arts nonprofits gave me a different perspective on the work that artists and musicians are doing. And, and then I could see that from an organizational or infrastructure side and saying, oh, of course, well, I need a little bit of that in my music side. And then also my music side informs how I work with, how I work in nonprofits, you know? And I worked through grad school and, you know, I worked for financial nonprofits. I worked for, um, I, I mean, I had other jobs, that kind of stuff. So Having that in mind, and I think a lot of people do this, right? In grad school, you know, I had a church job and I had, I worked at a restaurant and I worked at a financial nonprofit and I worked at, you know, all of these different things throughout that time. So you get used to, there's the, my music life is happening at the same time that I have these other facets of myself happening. Mm -hmm. So it made sense for me to just continue that as I grew those skills. So Professionally, I had after grad school, I was in a, like a full time day job for a financial nonprofit. And then I also worked in, in the administrative side of academia. So I worked at Johns Hopkins in their film and media studies program, which was excellent because I was working in a creative space with creative people, filmmakers, animators, et cetera but we didn't do the exact same type of art. So they were really respectful of all of the work that I was doing in music at the same time, really happy that I was being an administrator for them, <laughs> like helping their lives go. And, and that was such a great environment to be in. Then after that, I 
when I moved and I had moved back to Iowa, uh, I had a friend that I knew from, from music life that was a dean of a visual and performing arts school and, and said, oh my gosh, Megan, we really need to hire a voice teacher. Is this something that you're looking for in your life right now? And I was like, well, yeah, I actually, I started a private studio. So sure, I'd be happy to take on like an adjunct position. So I kind of did the adjunct teaching thing for a little while and realized pretty quickly that I couldn't make the margins work for teaching, like for adjunct teaching and performing. It was just not going financially. It was not sustainable. And so I took a look at that and, and it was rough in there because I was like, Oh, I committed to these contracts. Okay. And when you commit to an academic contract, you were there until like the end of the year, the end of the semester, whatever. It was such a clear picture for me of not signing on to something before really thinking through the financial ramifications of it. And even though it's music adjacent or, or for some people that is the music gig, right? That is music teaching and getting to work with students on applied lessons or whatever is the gig. And for me, I was like, no, (laughs) I can't, I can't, uh, I can't figure out like, this is not the setting. And I could potentially have negotiated maybe higher course fees or something, but that's not really um, a strong position to negotiate from as an adjunct professor. So, so I was like, okay, I just need to transition out of this. I also realized at the time that I had two parallel careers that required me to be kind of place specific. So when you're teaching applied lessons, especially in voice, they really want you in the room, right? Mm -hmm. With the students, which totally makes sense. And then I also had performing, which required me to be on the road. Right. (laughs) Excuse me. That I, I had these two competing place-based careers that were happening. And I just was like, huh, I think I might need something that balances with singing, which is the long-term, you know, always the goal, the big goal. And I need something that works with this, that, that makes use of the skills, the things that I like to do, mm-hmm. but can go with me wherever the performing thing is, because that's the place-based career side that I really want to have. I want to be in the venue performing live every single chance I get. And I need other income streams that support that. So that's when I started really building my, you know, building up my coaching business, building up my marketing and communications consultancy, that kind of thing. So now I'm in a place where, you know, when we are traveling a little bit more then I can, those, those jobs come with me wherever I tend to go. That's amazing. I, I I love that you were able to to like see the situation you were in and recognize like, oh no, I can't do this. But not only recognize it, but then be able to actually take actionable steps to um to pivot yeah. out of it yeah. and start start like this whole new thing in a way. Well, I guess I mean, would you say that was everything you did following the administrative roles? Was that new for I, you? I think so. I think that I I had been running, you know, the Sybaritic Singer blog for going on like 10 years. At that point, I'd been doing, you know, like social media marketing for other people and myself um, along that path. So it made sense. These were all things that I had built skills in, years of experience in, and then just applied them in a more professional container. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. 
um, the other thing that I was going to say about that is that it was interesting because I I started that private studio at the same time as I, well, yeah, around the same time as starting those adjunct positions, and I realized that I was I was running my private studio. If I had just stayed doing that, I would have worked less and made more money overall. And I was like, wait, this part of this business does not bother me. It doesn't bother me to like set up lessons, set my fees, have policies, you know, bring on students, that kind of thing. I was in a was in an area where it was it there was there was a need for voice teachers and I was definitely helping my students. So, you know, students were coming to me. And so I'm looking at this and I was like, how am I making it work running an entire like private studio, but, but adjunct teaching at the college level is like not happening. Yeah. So it's important to like, know what those numbers are. What are the numbers that you need to have in your life to feel like it's sustainable? Mm -hmm. That's a, that's a really good point. And I think especially when we're music students, um, it's kind of challenging to see outside of what we know, which is usually just like your orchestral gig or professorship. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. and and that's not to say that either aren't good options. It's just that's a, that's the narrow view that we have, right? It's, right. It, you know, and um, so like kind of figuring out a way to make that pivot, like you did. Yeah. Uh, I know it, for me, it's definitely been quite challenging. You know. Yeah. Um, yeah. And and I see it in a lot of other people too. Uh, that they they don't. I don't know. I mean, just that that exact thing. It's hard to kind of see beyond that. Until, mm -hmm. until you're in the situation where you're like, oh, wait, I need to make money. <laughs> yeah. <You know>? like, <laughs> I went I would to like school. I like to pay my bills. I would like to do all of these things. I would like to, yeah, exactly. I would like to have savings. <laughs> like, right. Yeah. <laughs> it, it's a weird, it's a weird, uh, it's a weird balance, but that's the thing too. So you're, you're a singer, you're a performer and that you said, that's the base of it all. Right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So like, how, how do you balance you making sure that you're focusing on performing or like days where you, you want to be performing or not, not, not performing, but um, just working on the performance side of things. Mm -hmm. But then you, you might have other things that you have to tend to instead. Sure. Well, when I was, hmm, I think grad school and then that time that was right away after that, where I'm working a full-time job, you know, I was gigging a lot, but I'm gigging in things like multiple, multiple choirs where I'm a ringer or I'm doing gigs that are close to home or I'm in a vocal ensemble. I'm doing freelance gigs with chamber ensembles that are close to me because that's, you know, that's what you can do when you, when you have to be in an office Monday through Friday, but there are so many people that are doing that, that you're really going to have rehearsals in the evenings. Anyway, lots of people are teaching, lots of people are working other jobs. Lots of people are taking care of their kids during the day. And so rehearsals are going to happen evenings, weekends, stuff like that. So I didn't really bump into an issue where I wasn't able to do things, but it was important that it was local, right? So I couldn't take on, at that point in time, I couldn't take on uh, gigs that were farther away. I couldn't do tours, things like that, because, because of needing to be in that geographic location where my, where my full-time job was. But at the same time, nobody was like contacting me in, in that in that stage of my career, you know, nobody was like, Oh, I need you to go on the road right now. <laughs> like, <laughs> nobody was like, make sure you come do this gig for like, you know, six months at a time that, that just wasn't the, the, 
musical experience I was having having at the time. So I was building my credentials. I was building you know, my experience level. I was building my network at the same time. And so it just worked hand in hand. But then as, as my career has grown and moving back to Iowa, that was definitely a moment where I was getting called to do a lot more regional, national gigs and, and then talking about, you know, uh, international gigs, those kinds of things needing to be a lot more flexible for that. And then you're right. And then I, then I very strategically have pivoted my life to, to support taking on those projects and staying flexible. Mm -hmm. So I can, it's important to me to have, like I said, these diversified income streams because it allows me to focus on doing the projects that I want to do the most. Mm -hmm. And that also means that I can commission composers because I'm bringing resources and bringing financial resources into my life that I can then choose to budget for commissions or choose to budget for other musical experiences. And that's how I've set up my life, which is to say, that's my choice, but other people have lots of other choices that they need to make, right? And so we all find what the right you know, combination of things is for us. And I feel like I've just been like taking one step after the other to get to where I'm at now, following that along and being like, okay, well, I, I have these parameters. What can I make happen in this situation? You know, so I was already trying out things like theatrical recitals, things like that. When I was living in Baltimore, working a full-time job, right. But my, but my recital was at Atlas, which was in DC, right? And so it's there, it's closer, it's available. I can go there, right? I didn't have to travel across the country to make that happen. But now that I have more flexibility on that, I can take the musical projects that I'm doing and perform them in different places to, to grow those projects and grow the visibility of those projects. Mm. That's, yeah. So then with that, I mean, um, what amount of your schedule is inflexible? Like, do you have things that mm. you have to do at these times on this day? Like, I don't know, walking the dog is important, yeah, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I definitely do that. Um, <laughs> like, so yeah, <laughs> Hunter is like, Hunter, my dog is like, yes, that is inflexible. <laughs> <laughs> we need no. to go now. Yeah, right? <laughs> um, so my, yes, I do have things that happen every uh, every week or on certain days, you know, that kind of stuff right now. Uh, none of it is so rigid that it can't be thought about in relation to the other things that happen. Mm -hmm. So, uh, of course, like any job, I'm going to have jobs that are heavier. Or I'm going to have job weeks that are heavier on this organization or this organization or my singing stuff. And, and just making sure that I'm communicating very clearly with everybody who who has a, a, like, who has, you know, stakeholder, <laughs> like, priority in my time mm -hmm. and my days, um, just making sure that I'm communicating clearly with them about when I'm available, what I'm working on, when that's going to show up for them so that they're not worried, right? That's the important part is making sure that they don't, they, they trust that I'm doing the things that I'm going to do that we've talked about, that it's going to be, it's going to show up for them in time. Um, and then that gives me a lot more flexibility to say like, oh, okay, well, I have to get this done by this point in time so that I can be available to, well, when, when I am touring, right. I have to get this done because I'm going to be on a plane on Thursday or something like that. 
And I can't, I can't assume that it's just going to like, it has to get done before I do that. So Mm. just time management, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I I was curious about that because like you, you were saying you, you've, you've created this sort of career that allows you to have the flexibility to pursue the things you want to pursue. And one of the things that I've always admired about you is you have this way of articulating things that is, um, Oh, see, I don't even know how to phrase it either. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You're you're so good with being able to provide uh, benefits for everyone else, you know? Thank you. (laughs) And and so one of the things that I love is on your website, the way you label the different tabs (laughs) for composers, for presenters, right? Yeah. (laughs) Could you talk about that a little bit? Sure, sure. I made that change uh, probably a year ago or so. Like, it it hasn't been too long, but before it kind of followed that that pretty ubiquitous outline that's kind of like about performances, you know, uh, recordings, whatever, something like that. And then I I thought about it, and again, and I feel very strongly about identifying your primary, secondary, and tertiary audiences. This is mm-hmm. a thing that I talk about in lots of different music entrepreneurship things. But your primary audience is, you know, who is hiring you, right? <laughs> like, or at least in my case, like, who is hiring me? Who is putting money in my pocket? And, and because I want to set up the path for them to find exactly what they need, right? I want to make it easier for them to be like, Megan, of course we want you. Of course we want to hire you. So I need to set up the path so that they can, you know, they can Google like new music mezzo-soprano and hopefully they're finding me and then they're, they get onto my website and they're like, oh, this is clearly for me, right? (laughs) (laughs) So I set that up because I, I asked myself, you know, who are my primary, secondary, tertiary audiences, what are they coming to me for? How do I, how do I make this experience? So, you know, it's kind of just UX, right? It's like user design and thinking about what is the user experience with, with your materials. Mm-hmm. I want them to end up on my site and go, this is clearly for me. So if you're a presenter, you're looking at it and it's like, oh, well, let me just follow this tab a little bit. You're going to see all of my touring programs, you're going to hear samples, you're going to hear who I'm working with. And then also you're going to see how to book me, right? How to take that next step. So there's always a call to action. And then the same thing for composers, because I work with composers all the time, right? And, and I've had these materials, I have a range guide, I have information about my voice, about things that I like to do. You know, Thank you for that, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> examples. And so I, I had had that as like a PDF that I would always just send in an email and just connect with people that way. And then I realized, well, why don't I just put this on the site? <laughs> people, can, people can use it. And so because I'm working with composers so regularly, I just wanted to let them know that they're in the right place. You know, I want you to write for me. I want to work together. I want to bring your sounds to life. Like, let's be in collaboration together. Here, let me make it easier. And then also, you don't have to like dig through your inbox. If we are working together, you don't have to dig through your inbox and be like, she sent me that PDF. Like, (laughs) is it right? Like, I'm just going to go back to her website. (laughs) And then, and then also for listeners, right? What are you, if you're coming to my website, like, and you want to listen to the things that I do, 
here you go. This is what I'm about. This is how you can listen to the things that I do. And then also because of my coaching and consulting stuff, I have a page on there, you know, for clients so that they can, they can find their way to me and know that it's all, it's all part of what I do. So. I love that. I, yeah, I, I, I'm glad it works for you. (laughs) It does. Well, there's the thing is like, um, like what, what, when I asked the question, so much of what you do is, is, is making the process easier for everyone, for everyone who you're working with, like oh, good. Calendly, right. <laughs> the scheduling thing, your, your website, it's not even like about Megan. It's for presenters yeah. for composers. <laughs> it's not about you. It's about them. Right. You well, know? because we're working together and that's, I think that's the thing that I really want more than anything else. If you're coming to my website, it's primarily because I want you to get something out of this and we're in this together. So, so you're coming to my website, here it is. I, I pulled these things together and you can also explore after that. You go wherever you want to, right? Maybe you're a composer, but then you want to be a coaching client and you're like, Oh, I'm just going to go on over here. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But those, so it's set up with that in mind. And then one of the things that I wanted to say in this case is that you yourself, you, the artist, you, the musician, you, the composer, you're the one who understands how everything fits under your umbrella, right? And if you were to lay it out for somebody else and you say, okay, this is who I am. This is me. These are all the things that kind of fit with these other things. These like things go with like, right? Mm. And so I realized that, you know, there is a separate website for Sybaritic Singer, which is my blog, but then people were coming to my site because they want to know about that side of my life. And so I'm just going to make sure that that's an easy connection point. And I know that everything I do that falls under music entrepreneurship, audience development, creative placemaking, that all gets encompassed under what I do for Sybaritic Singer. That's just kind of my, that's my home base for thought leadership. So that's the blog, that's the podcast. All, all hangs out there, right? But then everything that's related to my performance side of my life, that's also under my, under my umbrella, but all of that gets to go in this column over here. And it's important to me that I help direct that because I'm the one who knows what makes up my, you know, the whole of what I do. And then I can lead people through it because like I said, I've been doing this for, you know, years. I've been doing this for over a decade. It's, it's my responsibility to help usher people through or shepherd people through the various facets of what I do. I, I'm like hearing everything you're saying right now. And I can't wait to go back and listen to this. (laughs) (laughs) Like, oh, I just yeah. heard you say it and I already want to go back and be like, that was great. <laughs> you're like, rewind here to timestamp yeah. X. <laughs> like, <laughs> there's so much, there's so many just nuggets that you're, you're laying out these gold nuggets. Like, yep, here's that, there's that, there's this. And, and, uh, I, I can't, I can't wait to share this with people now too. I mean, oh, thanks, you know, so whenever this is live and people are watching this, you're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> Well, exactly. And this is why we do these things. We have these conversations because we want to pass along these, these systems, these things that we've figured out to each other so that it makes it a lot easier. I feel very strongly about the fact that I, 
I want people, I want to grow the pie. I don't want ever shrinking pieces of pie for our new music community, our arts community, et cetera. I really want to think about how to grow that. And that comes through adding resources to it. And I can only do so much in adding financial resources to it. I can choose how I'm going to spend my commissioning dollars, how I'm going to spend, you know, my, my listening money right on albums and things like that. But I can also add to enlarging that by thought resources or here are all these things that I figured out. Let me share that with people who want it, who need it in an easy way Mm -hmm. that contributes to all of us doing better, right? And when we each have more time and financial freedom, then we can do a better job of like bringing people into the cool stuff that we make, the cool stuff that we do, right? Like greater and greater visibility for new music right that that i really like what you said right there about having the financial freedom to be able mm-hmm. to you know because there's there's such a level of i don't want to say convenience but convenience is a part of it you know when mm-hmm. you have enough money to be able to pursue and do the things you want to do yeah you know, I, I think I, I may have said this on a previous episode but my when my girlfriend and i moved to chicago yeah we, um um we we loaded up the the u-haul truck ourselves yeah right <laughs> it, it, it took us over an hour to load the bed frame alone oh my god <laughs> yeah it was it wasn't fun so on the drive to chicago um we called a moving company we're like we need you to unload this for us yeah you know, like we can't we can't do this you yeah. know we were, we were trying to save a little bit of money and yeah and um you know it cost a couple hundred extra dollars but they got it done in 30 minutes See, you know, I'm freedom. Yeah, exactly. So like mm-hmm. in that moment there, I had, I had that realization, like what you just said of, of the convenience of having um, mm-hmm. someone, someone take care of that sort of thing for me so that I can focus on something else if I need to, or I can pursue my, you know, like, fo- well, yeah, focus my energies on other things. Yeah. Having that financial independence, like you said, yeah, provides that. Well, and we don't, we can't, we can't learn every single skill. And there was a moment, there's, there's a very strong, like Midwestern do it yourself ethic that I have, right? Like that's going to be baked in deep, right? Oh, I'll just learn how to do this all by myself and then do that. Right. And, and I think we each come to that realization on our own, where the time that we have in our life is so valuable Mm -hmm. that I can't trade it to learn that thing. So you're not going to catch me getting better at video editing at this point in my life because, because I can't like, that's not, that's not where it needs to go, but I am going to work on increasing my income, increasing my resources in the ways that I do have skills so that I can, so that I can pay people who are also really good at that thing. Right. Mm -hmm. And it took me a while to realize that that was also part of how I benefit the new music ecosystem, how we're all interconnected. And sometimes I do need to learn how to do it on my own. And sometimes I can be a resource and a benefit for other people's lives by paying them to do the thing they're really good at. Takes time, right? We don't, and like, I definitely don't have those resources just like all the time. However, I know how to, I know how to save and budget and, and work my way to those things Mm -hmm. so that I can make that possible. Right. And I can work with other partners. I can work with like collaborators to bring more resources into a project and therefore pay people that strengthens our whole 
new music community, our whole ecosystem, when you're able to take, you know, financial resources, time resources, knowledge resources, and spread them farther so that more people are benefiting from whatever it is, kind of rising tide lifts all boats. Wow. That, that, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I think that's so useful. Um, It's, there's so many aspects of like, challenges that we each face like you said earlier about being an individual like you know every person has their own like skill sets and abilities and and know and know how and whatnot and mm-hmm. i i think one big part of that like or inside of what you just said is also the level of self-awareness that you have in order to recognize mm-hmm. like i don't need to do this thing yeah yeah what sort of um when it comes to your business consulting clients and all that stuff like what sort of things do you tell them or, or help them figure out or help them to figure that out when it's like, well, do you need to be focusing on that or should you outsource mm-hmm, or that sort of mm-hmm. thing? Does oh, that make sure. sense? Yeah, totally. Well, and I, when, when I talk to coaching clients, when I talk to consultant clients, we always talk about kind of this, these three ideas, which is like offers, clients, and systems, right? And the way we always, I always start with offers because what is it that you do? Like, what is it that you're going to get paid for? What is it that you're getting paid for going forward? Not everything that you have been paid for necessarily and keeping that going. What are we focusing on? What lights you up at the moment, right? Mm -hmm. How are we going to connect that with clients who are going to pay you for those things? And, and then systems are part of that. Once you know what it is, what we're focusing on, And then you're also really clear on my ideal client is this, my ideal collaborator is this, then the systems help you connect the two. And you will be able to, as as you go, you'll say, oh, I need a system for this, right? My Calendly is a system, right? My, like, you know, my scheduling tool is a system, my making sure that I have, you know, oh God, whatever, like the, the, like, funnels for, you know, for products and things like that. Those are all systems, right? My booking, my booking template, right. For that I send out to presenters, that's a system, Mm -hmm. right. Then the fact that I do that on a regular basis, that's a system, but I don't know that I need that system until it's clear on what it is that I want to do and who is going to pay me for it. Right. (laughs) And then I want to get to that place where as, as you go, you'll realize, okay, that's a system I can totally bring into my life and do on my own. I can outsource it to software, which, right, anything that's not high touch, then see if we can find a software solution for that first that automates that. And then anything that saves you for the high touch experience, right? So that you can connect with the people, you can do the work, you can do the things that you care the most about, and then you can decide, do I outsource this to software or do I outsource this to another person? Mm, right. And that's, you have to make those choices. Right. That's great advice. That, that makes, and that makes <laughs> a lot you. of sense too, though. I mean, um, it's, yeah, it's definitely something that I know I, I like, it's a challenge that I face all the time is, is how much of what, like, even with this podcast, mm-hmm. you know, I had to, uh, I had to download a, a video software, um, uh, program whatever you call that you know Uh and uh so that i can splice things together and and there's there's obviously a barrier with that like a learning a learning barrier right yeah Um, or do i want to outsource it to someone who can do a high quality job might cost a little bit of money sort of thing right Um, well and i think you'll decide over time and that's the thing is very few things are fixed in stone (laughs) mm -hmm. (laughs) that you can try this now 
And then as soon as you don't have time for this anymore, you'll bump up against a thing. You'll, I, I mean, I ran into this experience with, with sybaritic singer in general, where I was coming up against, okay, I, this does not get the amount of time that it deserves. I either need to bring more people onto this team mm-hmm. or I have to let go of this entirely. And I was like, it's not, it's not the time yet for me to get rid of this. So I went the, I went the route of bringing more people onto the team. Right. So now I work with these collaborators to make that happen. Mm-hmm. And, and it's huge. It's just, it changed <laughs> my life, <laughs> but because there was only so much that I could get done with what I was doing, even though I had worked out super efficient doing this, um, and got my systems down. Right. Then I was like, Nope, I hit this, I hit this new threshold. And the only way that I can continue doing this is if I bring on like human resources, if I bring more people into this work. That, that is, uh, it makes me think of this article I read a while ago on, I think it was Forbes. Mm-hmm. And in the article, they said that when it comes to hiring people, like mm-hmm. as a company or whatever, um, there's, there's two sorts of people that you often want to look for. People who generate ideas mm-hmm. and people who can implement the idea yes. because they're not always <laughs> the same thing. No, they are not. You know? <laughs> Have you found that with like everything that you're, you know, like this team, you, your collaborators and stuff? Oh yeah. Well, and I, I find that in lots of different clients that I've worked for, it is that I often get hired because of that. Like I, I work with lots of people who have great ideas and then they're, they're so much in the work of what they're doing that they really need assistance in implementation. Mm. And and so that's one of the reasons I get hired for my marketing and communications work is they're like, I, I need to see this happen. And I'm like, got it. I'm <laughs> got on it. it. <laughs> like, and, and so if you can be a person that ha- and so many musicians, composers, creators, everybody, so many of us in the creative professional life have, have these skills where you can be both the vision and the implementation. So if you can find that within yourself, you have a superpower. <laughs> like, so you can make it work on both sides, right? You can hold the vision for what you do in your in your musical life. And you can be the visionary there with the person who has help with Im- implementation whenever. But you can also work for other people and be the implementation person, right? right. They're the person that's holding this vision for their organization, their company. And you're like, Oh yeah, I got that. Right. So it's for me, I think about this with composers who also do a lot of like audio engineering work where in their, in their creative life, they're the one holding the vision. They're making it happen. They all often work for other people that have this vision and they're like, well, yeah, I'm just going to boop, 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 put this together for you. Like I'm implementing on your vision. And that doesn't mean that it has necessarily anything to do with my vision, but I can totally do this for you. And yeah, sure, you can pay me for my skills here. Right. right. Um, but then you go to your own creative projects and you might want to have somebody being your implementer, right? On when you're the person that's holding the vision for the work that you're doing. Ooh, oh my God. I'm just like loving this. No. I'm so psyched right now. <laughs> I'm trying to contain myself. <laughs> I think that's why it's so clear that we are this ecosystem because we all do work together in that way. It's so important to know your community in that way so that 
you are finding out what's important to people? What's the vision that they're holding? Do you interface with them right now as somebody who can help implement that? Mm -hmm. Or are they helping you implement your vision at the moment? And that can always change, right? They might start working on something where you're a great fit. And then, then you have a project two years later and you're like, I know who I'm going to ask. Right. <laughs> like, yeah. It's part of being thoughtful and identifying other people's skills and visions, seeing both mm. so that we don't only see people as the composer. Like, so say you're the composer audio engineer that I was talking about, like that example that if you're both of those, you see them as both, you see them as both the composer and the audio engineer mm -hmm. in both and not just like, oh, that's the audio engineer that I worked for this and go, oh, I didn't know that they composed, right? <laughs> like, you got to know, know them holistically that way. Yeah, I, it, it makes me think a lot about um, how we're so good at giving advice, but we, we aren't good at taking our own advice, you know? <laughs> yeah. And I don't remember who I heard, heard this from, but it was one of the most like uh, powerful things I had heard someone say, which was um, treat yourself as if you're someone you want to take care of or something oh, like that. that. Yeah. Or, yeah. Or, or, or as if you were someone who you would take care of, like your spouse mm -hmm. or something, you know? Right. And, and I, I, that to me is really powerful because like, I know I would, when my girlfriend, if she gets into a mode where she's like getting a lot of negative thoughts and like not feeling great, I'm like, nope, stop right there. Yeah. We're having, we're having cake. Like, you know, yeah, we're, having cake. <laughs> we're, we're shifting gears. I really like quickly. this relationship. This is great. <laughs> like, <laughs> I am usually the one to suggest the cake. So. <laughs> I love it. I love it. <laughs> uh, but um, but well, yeah, I love I love that, and especially like you said, particularly with like negative thinking patterns. Think like you love yourself, right? So it's every time you catch yourself doing that, where you're in a spiral. We all do it. We all get into that, right? And then developing the skill to recognize it and be like, hold on, this is not me talking to myself like I love myself, mm -hmm. right? I got to get. And it can be useful. You're like, okay, I see where I'm stressed about that. I see where I'm falling short of my intentions or my integrity. And I'm going to come back to that. But me like yelling at myself right now, not helping with that. I'm not right. getting better. I'm not suddenly achieving just because I'm yelling at myself. <laughs> it's, it's funny hearing you say this because this is literally the same thing as practicing. Yeah. Yeah. Right. right? Like, like when you, when you're in the practice room and you're trying to get that one thing down and you're like, God, I can't get it. And you, you know, you yeah. get frustrated. I mean, I, right? it, it, it always, it, it always amazes me when, when like I, you can see these connections of being a musician, the, the, the craft of being a musician mm -hmm. and then making connections to everything else in the world and your life. Yeah. You know, so much of what that anything, I mean, so much of being a musician teaches us the craft of being a person mm -hmm. and it's teaching us how to pay attention to things, how to be in practice with mm -hmm. something, how to collaborate with other human beings, <laughs> like how to listen, how to, you know, do all of these things that are skills that we, we totally want that, that we would pull out as being incredible benefits and personality traits of somebody else right uh -huh. we'd be like oh yeah they're just such a great listener right yeah music teaches us how to do that all the time <laughs> that's so amazing 
Right. But that's exactly what you're pointing out. Right. That's, you know, that's so spot on, Adam. I love that you, that you made that connection to say, see how this is teaching us how to be our fullest selves Mm -hmm. in the world. Yeah. I, when I was in grad school, I think I made a lot of connections like that with composing. Like Mm. I didn't, I I never did a lot of like public speaking before grad school. Mm -hmm. And then I had an assistantship. Yeah. Right. And then I was the president of, uh, well, you, we brought uh, Percepta, the organization that brought you over. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So there was so many times where I had to start doing public speaking more. And when that started happening for me, I, I realized I can treat this like composing. So Mm -hmm. I, I, I first sat down, I wrote out everything I wanted to say, Mm -hmm. and then I kind of read through it. And then like, I I sort of practiced it in a way, you know, Mm -hmm. where, where like in composing, it's like, I write that first draft, just get it all out, you know, and then go back, edit it later sort of thing. And, um, (laughs) And so anyways, using that, the musical side of me to inform everything else that I do. Mm-hmm. started mm-hmm. to take effect a little bit it, yeah it kind of makes me think or it brings this question to mind uh how do I even ask that god the reverse of that what mm-hmm. has your life informed on performing and and practicing or being a musician <laughs> that's a big one um yeah. <laughs> <laughs> let's see here my life has informed my performing in very specific ways. And I think that, um, I think that you can see it in the work that I do now and that I've been doing right is that I believe deeply in the power of storytelling and there's nothing more special to me than being able to share that with each other Mm -hmm. and being able to tell a story that people are like, this is a for me, B this is powerful moving. I get to feel all my feelings with this. And I think that that's exactly what I want to do that. I, I think of the, my performance life as being this, experience that I've created. I often talk about this. I'm going to say, <laughs> I might've said this on a podcast before. We'll see. We'll see how this goes. <laughs> but like, um, I often think of performing as this like really exciting treehouse that I've made, right. That I like, that I handcrafted. I like put up all these little boards. I strung all of the sp- like pretty sparkly lights. I made it super cozy in there so that we could get together and tell stories. and I think of it that way every time I walk into a performance space and I see people sitting and like looking back at me that is the image that flashes in my mind every single time and I feel myself even if I'm not doing it physically I feel myself kind of like reaching out and like bringing them in and asking them inviting them I think of every single beginning of a performance like I'm saying like Hey, I made this really cool treehouse. Do you want to come check it out with me? (laughs) You want to come check it out? You want to sit in it together? And it can't happen without them saying yes, without them joining me in that space. And so I think that in the performance space, you know, I'm on this side, like looking at them, they're on this side, looking at me, but that liminal space between us is the magic and where they meet me and where I meet them with all of the things I've worked on, like that's what happens. 
And I think of that as I'm bringing myself, the work that I've done with my collaborators and with my composers, I'm bringing that and I'm saying like, look at all this stuff that we made for you. Like, you want to come in and hang out for a minute? And, and I think because treehouses kind of conjure that um, like childlike notion of play and also a safe space, right? You're, you're like, I mean, depending on how safe your tree house is in the tree, but like, um, but the, like this safe space that you would only hang out with your best friends, like in that space. But I, I think it's so powerful to invite listeners into that because we're going to probably get into some deep emotions. That's kind of work that I like to do in music. Mm. We're going to get into some big feels <laughs> and <laughs> I want them to know that I created this like really soft, comfy place so that they can feel those things, mm -hmm. have those thoughts. We can share those stories and then they, they get to leave and go about the rest of their day, go about the rest of their night. Like, and think about that, that moment that we created together. Well, I, I have to say that I've experienced you as the performer and me as the audience, you know, the listener and stuff. And the last time I think was strange, beautiful music in Detroit. Oh yeah, um, I yeah. <laughs> I know it's such a great time. It was, and aren't they amazing? Like that is an amazing community. New Music Detroit, strange, beautiful music. Everybody involved. Oh gosh, so yeah, great. so great. I, I I've been to a few performances of theirs. That um, yeah, they they do such great things. Yeah, and um, but I have to say, I mean, like your performance. That's one of the things that I remember very clearly. And one of the things that I loved was was how you personified oh. what you were what were you were performing you know yeah. and um and i i like i'm getting really specific now right but uh <laughs> i love just this like the gestures and and the facial expressions that you make because thank you <laughs> I, I i i recognize that um it's probably easy or i don't want to say easy it's like I don't know. I'll say easy because I can't think of anything better. <laughs> it's probably easy to like be very big, you know. And, mm -hmm. and but but when you're performing, I get the sense that you're it's it's much more nuanced, you know. Like you. your movements are even as calculated as the way you're singing. Thank you. Yeah. Oh, that's a thing that I talk about when I do vocal master classes. Mm -hmm. And what I love so much about the act of singing with the fact that we have text and we, and we use our bodies and like, and I, and I love seeing instrumentalists do this too. So it's, but the fact that I get text means that I get to work on like multiple levels, right? I get to work on the level of the sheer sound and timbre of the, of the vocal line. Mm -hmm. I get to work on the, the actual words that I'm saying right? And those can agree or disagree, right? And then I can also work on the level with what my face and my body are doing. And it's really fun to be in practice where you're thinking about, do they agree or disagree? Is this the same or are they different? And so playing around with sometimes the Sometimes they are all in agreement, right? What I'm doing with my body, what the text is literally saying, <laughs> and what and what the sound of the vocal line is doing, those all agree. Now choose like one of them to disagree or choose two of them to disagree and start to see where your audience picks up on that and they start to come along with you. And they they may not even realize how you're influencing that that nuance, right? But if I'm saying, 
<laughs> it's, I always use the example of bless her heart, right? Depending on like how you say that with your, with your voice, the words, and like what your face is doing, then <laughs> bless her heart means a lot of different things right, <laughs> depending right. on where you are. And, um, and so we can do that in vocal music as well. And it's just so much fun to, to feel audiences come with you or when you get them to think critically about the fact that you've made you've made them disagree, right? Mm. You have to be so clear on what you're doing, especially when the, when they're disagreeing, if I'm doing something with my face that is not agreeing with the line and the, the text the literal text, then, then it can be really off putting for a listener or they can be like, Oh, I see what she's doing there. Uh (laughs) Right. We get a little bit of that, like omniscient viewer, omniscient listener sense of like, she's telling me something else here and I get it. (laughs) That, yeah, that makes me think of like singing a lullaby, but it's incredibly dark, you know? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Totally. Totally. Yes. And like all of those things, if you are singing, it tells you so much about the rest of the story, where you are in the timeline. If you're singing something, I was just talking to Alan Tyson, my saxophone duo partner, about this with the first piece that we open Black Meridian, our upcoming touring show, whenever we're able to tour again, we are going to like put that out on the road like crazy. It's Um, happening. It's happening. (laughs) And I'm so excited about it because it's all just like coming together and gelling. And it's so much fun to work on. We were talking about the first piece because it's it's actually a cover. and, And so when you hear like it's, Oh, I'll just get into this a little bit. It's a Sarah Bareilles cover. And when you hear Sarah Bareilles do it, it's, it can have like some kind of pathos. There's a little bit of longing. There might be some like other feelings in there. And when we do it, it, because it's the opening of the show, there's just so much more joy. That's a part of it, but you have to, you have to make sure that all of it's agreeing with that because sometimes the text alone, that's where like the text is going to make, be maybe be one of those things that disagrees but how the line moves and what my face and my body are doing mm-hmm. tells you whether or not I might be singing a sad or a text but how do I feel about that right I still feel good about it mm-hmm. and so I think that's when you were asking how does your life inform like the performance work that you do that's that's a thing that now where I'm at in my life I understand a lot more than I understood when I was first starting my performance journey when when each feeling, when each phrase has deeper meanings, has multifaceted ways of looking at it. And I, as a person, understand that and can bring that, can bring my experience to that. Um, that's, that's a place that I'm at right now. And, and then yeah, the movements can be big or small, but it's the fact that there's more colors. It's more, you know, it's more robust of an understanding of how I feel about that, both as myself as the performer and myself as the character mm-hmm. that I think is just so exciting about performing right now. It's so interesting hearing you say all this because it's exactly it, like I'm, I'm hearing the way you approach performance is exactly how you're approaching all the other aspects of your, your business, (laughs) of your, of your, like, like, how can I do this so that people can connect with it? And, and you know, and, 
like uh, speaking specifically to the music of it all, I mean, we 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 operate in the new music world. Like that's mm-hmm. our, you know, yeah. we, we do yep. a lot of that. And one of the pieces of advice I usually give people whenever they ask me, like, how do you listen to this? Like, what do you, you know? Mm-hmm. And and I and like you were saying that they have to want to meet you there at the same time, right? Mm-hmm. And they yeah. have to be open to it. And and that's what I would say is like you can't um you can't assume what the music is going to be. If it's yeah. new music, you can't assume it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you can't be like, it's kind of jazzy and it has this like, there's also a multi-phonic, you know, like yeah. whatever. And because it's like, ah, the timer just went off, Megan. No, <laughs> see, I knew it. I knew it. We're going to have to continue this at some point. <laughs> this is, this is going to turn into like a six-part limited series on Netflix, like 18 hours long. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, um, but... So I, I'm going to finish off what I was saying yeah. by asking you a question, actually, is, is with, with, is it MIATP or just how do you? Oh, we, we call it MIATP. Yeah. MIATP. Okay. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so you, you mentioned with Black Meridian um, that the, the opening is, is that Sarah, Sarah Bellis, is that her name? Yeah. Borellis. Yeah. Borellis. Yeah. Okay. Uh-huh. Um, how it sounds to me like you, you, you design the program in a way that it creates some sort of journey or experience for the the listener yeah and and i feel like you've heard me talk about this before oh no i haven't no No. oh okay cool (laughs) but but just from that the way you mentioned the opening you know and and so how much of that the program is designed so that you you're trying to like is it designed so that you're trying to create a world that it's like i want you to experience this with me maybe yeah. at your own pace or maybe at the pace that I decide, like, yeah, you know, what I, I'm saying? it's definitely, definitely the latter of that. This, this, this particular production is very much conceived of as a whole. And we invited the composers who are commissioned for it to write with some parameters, which was, here's kind of the theme of the show. This is where you're going to be in the show. And this is kind of what we're hoping for, but you could pick whatever text you want. You can write, you know, whatever. And so Black Meridian is really a metaphor. It's a, a an evening length performance metaphor for the a, a relationship on an inexorable track to, to potential failure. But what happens is we're using the we're using the metaphor of black holes to tell this story mm-hmm. and and I asked Alan I was like okay I want to tell I really want to tell this story and I want to use this one particular piece so one of the pieces that's part of Black Meridian is Antoine Boyer's Ein Tone and it's Vondelweiser it's it there's a lot of silence in it but I thought okay what I want to get to is I I'm hoping that we can tell this story and Alan and I have worked on this so much so that I was kind of, this is my initial concept, but that we worked out together how this goes. So I was saying, it's like, we're using this black black hole metaphor. So as you're getting closer and closer to the singularity of the black hole, gravity condenses. And I, and I said, I want, I want there to be something similar to this and I want it to be the concept of groove. So we're going to use groove as gravity condensing and so we're asking the composers that are writing that we're like this is where you are in the lead up to the singularity and that means that 
we, so when you were the last piece before the singularity, I was like, you need to write the hardest groove you can find. (laughs) (laughs) And luckily we asked these composers and they're super down, right? They're just like, and, but that means it starts off as more open, ethereal, and then eat. And as you're going through this, it's just, you can feel the pressure of that groove, like condensing, condensing the subject matter of those pieces, condensing, condensing until you get to the singularity. And that's the, that's the audience journey that we're taking them on. And we put this together with this kind of abstract narrative through these pieces so that, so that's the story that we're hoping, well, that's the story that you're going on no matter what, (laughs) that's the story that's happening. And and how you fit into that or how you as the listener go along with that is, is your choice. Mm. But that's the journey that we're, we're on together and we're doing it musically, we're doing it thematically, we're doing it metaphorically. And, and we move around on stage. We, we tell this story, like I said, musically, but also theatrically. Um, and it's just so exciting to like see that all come together and we did a few preview performances before, before COVID <laughs> and they went so well. It was like, you could really start to see people go like, Oh, I get it. Because it's like, fine tone is like a 20 minute, like performance art piece, essentially. <laughs> like right. basically. So when I'm sitting there and I was like, what, in what context do I bring an interested listener into this that we get to a 20 minute performance art piece that has a lot of silence in it and they're like yes (laughs) this is amazing right so that's that was kind of the challenge that I that I set out to to think about how do you how do you program this in a way that people are like oh my god that was like mind blown I needed that it I had my own experience with it and and I think that's that's where this is now, and why why it was so important to let this show really build in its production time period, you know, because we toured this world of yes for like a year and a half, and did you know, like something like thirty something performances of it, or whatever, and and then we started like going into production on this on this thing, and it's taken a while, but it's so worth it. It's so worth it to be patient with the things that you have to learn. Do you remember when we were talking about systems and stuff Mm -hmm. like that? Similarly, as we're looking at the story we want to tell with this particular production, we, there are things that we had to learn about ourselves as performers. I have to learn different techniques. I had to like bring in new skills, new ideas, new like components, all sorts of stuff to, to tell the story that we want to tell with these pieces and I'm willing to let it take the time that it needs to, to make sure that that's happening. So, so that's why I feel thrilled about it whenever we are able to take it on the road. (laughs) It it sounds so fascinating. I can't wait for it to happen. Well, thanks. (laughs) Goddamn COVID, but you know, (laughs) So that's, I'm just trying to see that silver lining of the fact that this is just that much more building time Mm -hmm. to make sure that I'm, I'm thinking about, okay, am I seeing, am I, like we were talking about vision, am I fully implementing the vision that, that is there for this show? 
I have this gift of more time, I guess, before we're taking it on the road, what am I going to do with that? How am I going to infuse that with implementing even more of what, what we see in our heads into the actuality of the show? Uh, that's so fantastic. That's, I know it's really hard. And I, everybody's going about COVID and, and being a musician in this time differently and whatever it is for you. And I'm kind of talking to whoever's listening or watching this, like whatever it is for you is the right thing. And so if you're called to write a million pieces, like, or if you're called to not write at all, but you're really thinking about what comes next, or you want to live stream, or you don't want to live stream, whatever it is for you, that's the right thing. And let that infuse the work that's coming next. Mm -hmm. So whatever keeps you in the game right now is what I want people to be doing. Cause <sighs> it's, I think so many of us are looking around and uncertain about what's happening and going, am I supposed to be doing that? Am I supposed to be doing this? Am I supposed to be doing something else? Whatever it is that's inside of you that needs to be happening right now is exactly it. Whatever keeps you like committed to making music going forward, that's what I want you to be doing. That's it. Like that's that's a great that's a great spot to actually end it all right there. <laughs> <laughs> what what a perfect yeah. <laughs> Um, before, before I stop the recording here, uh, yeah. is there anything that you want to plug any, like, uh, any upcoming releases or what well, you had that post on Facebook today, right? Or... Oh yeah. Yeah. So I have a, I have a couple of things that I think people might be interested in, which is I, I, a few years ago, I had a Kickstarter project where I commissioned 26 composers to write short lullabies. And the first of three albums <laughs> is coming out very soon. So I would love for people to kind of keep an eye on that. Come on over to my website, meganenan.com. It's M-E-G-A-N-I-H-N-E-N. -E -E and if you're following me on social media, like you'll see it there, you'll see it everywhere, right? Um, so that is coming up in my, in my musical life, in my performing life. I'm really proud of this. And there's just fabulous composers that are part of the whole project and part of this first album. And... I'm so grateful to everybody who donated to that Kickstarter and making that come true. It It's obviously a much bigger project than I had originally envisioned. And I'm like, okay, it is still happening. <laughs> like, here we are. So, so seeing that the beginnings of what that project is, is ultimately going to be is so fulfilling, I think. So, so exciting to see. And helpful like for something that feels like it takes a long time and then the other part is that if you're hearing this before January 1st 2021 my my coaching and consulting rates are going up in January and so I'm running a special of a three three coaching sessions over five months where you can split those up into like monthly invoices so those monthly invoices can be as low as $48 so if that's something that anybody who's listening is like around or thinks like this might be the time for them. And you're, you're wanting to have those conversations particularly because of like COVID and everything that's going on at the moment, just get in touch as Adam. So like neatly pointed out, you can come to my website and like, just sign up right away. <laughs> like, <laughs> and then you can always just message me and let me know that, that that package is something that, that you wanted to try out um, or talk more about it. I'm pretty easy to get a hold of. My social media handles are at Mezzo Enan. M-E-Z-Z-O-I-H-N-E-N -E -E across the socials. You can find me wherever. <laughs> <laughs> and 
Yeah, I think so. That's kind of it. So I would love for anybody who's listening to your podcast, Adam, to get in touch with me. But also, I really deeply want to thank you for having this conversation because it means so much to me for us to to talk about these things. And you know, as artists, we don't always get to get into the nitty gritty of what makes our creative lives tick. And I really appreciate you asking me such insightful questions. And I hope that we'll get to do this again in the future and just continue to have conversations for us. <laughs> uh, well, thank you, Megan. Seriously. Yeah. I mean, everything that you said, I, I am so excited to, uh, to have had you on this and that you, you wanted to be a part of this. Yeah. So, uh, I'm so proud of you for making this. Ah, uh, thank you. Thank yeah. you. It's always like, it's a big thing to kick it off and then to like, keep it going. So I can't wait to see what this becomes as you, as you like grow and do all the cool stuff that you're going to do with it. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. I have no idea, <laughs> but I, I will be publishing this before January. So that message will be out there. It Perfect. Out there, yeah. But, yeah. Excellent. Awesome. I love it. <laughs> this is so awesome. Thank you so much, Megan. Thank you. Of course. Thank you.